yeah, this is insight. The vigilante, man. Damn, son. You know I'm tired, man. I'm so tired, son. Hell, but I gotta do whatever she takes, y'all. Never been as broke as me. I'm on my knees, praying the Lord just help me, please. Music, the sweet sounds of a melody. Soothe the soul, I guess you could call it therapy. Headless cold world, there ain't no love for me. I've been searching for that. Okay, welcome to Zealous Radio. This is Ro Hurley, and with me is my co host, Chris Otto. Good evening, Chris. What it do? <laughs> Sorry, I gotta go urban today, guys. It's the only way I can talk to Insight. Yeah, this is our urban show. We have a special guest here today. But let's get this out of the way. Fill out our demographic survey. Go to ZZZList.com, click on Shows, click on We're Listening Banner. No personal information required. Also, vote for us on Podcast Alley. No need to re- no need to register, but you do need a valid email for verification. So that's out of the way. Let's talk to Insight. All right, so now we're going to get on the phone. Uh, my friend Insight, the vigilante. Uh, part of the Republic Revolution that we formed in uh, Tent City, which is where I met him, Tent City, Arizona. Uh, it's a wonderful jail out there, um, which we'll get into. So what I'm going to do is go ahead and get him on. You there, Insight? Yeah, what's up, what's up, I'm here. How you doing? I'm doing good, man, you know, maintaining. That's what's, what's going up. on with you? That's Same old. Pretty good, pretty good. What is this Republic Revolution? (laughs) Republic Revolution is a gang that, uh, well, I don't know if it's a gang. I don't know really what it was. Just something that me and, uh, me and Insight started in the kitchen. Okay. It costs a thousand dollars a day, a thousand dollars a week to join. Right. So if you're not ready to bring bring that much money to the table, just don't even bother. Yeah. Basically, it was just to keep those keep those broke people away. You know, try to make better connections, stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> um, can we kind of start from the beginning then on on how how Insight got into Tent City? We've already gotten Chris's story in a previous podcast, so um, can we start there? Yeah. Okay. So basically, basically, I guess it started off with you know, <clears throat> I guess being money hungry. You know, because down here in the south where I live in Atlanta, like the the price for, I guess, though, you could say a pound of weed going like twelve, fourteen hundred dollars like that. Now in Arizona, it's pretty cheap. So being a businessman that I am, I tried to invest in that and wind up getting, you know, pinch caught in Arizona, basically transporting drugs from one state to another state. And so that's what kind of led me to Tennessee, Arizona. That's how that all went down. Kind of got caught with, you know, a lot of weed, I guess. You can call it that. I wouldn't call it a lot, but, you know, they they was looking at it as being a whole bunch. I think most people would consider it a whole bunch. I think fabulous would call it a whole bunch, but I guess everything's <laughs> relative. Yeah. Now, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to slow this down a little bit, but, but so you were driving from Arizona to Georgia, right? No, I was actually I was actually flying. I was flying into Arizona and basically it was just being shipped back. So I wasn't really like 
transported myself. It was basically going through the mail, something like that. So I wasn't really trying to get too dirty like that. So go ahead. So how did you get caught? You were flying into Arizona? Yeah, I was actually... I was actually there. I had an apartment out there, and we was inside the apartment bagging up, and the police just, like, kicked in the door. They had a search warrant, and they just kicked in the door, you know, guns out, flashlights, get on the ground, type stuff like that. So, basically, I was caught red-handed at the time. So, I don't really, I read the affidavit, and they were saying... We had a girl go to the post office and drop something off, and I guess the the, the package was suspicious, and they checked it, and <clears throat> I guess got a search warrant from there. I'm not really sure how it all went down. If you ask me, I think somebody was snitching. That's what I think. That's how I feel. Gotcha. Like I said, I, yeah, because when I landed in Arizona, it was basically, I, I got there, it was like around 2 o'clock, and by 8 o'clock, police was kicking in the door, so I'm pretty sure there was a setup. I see. A setup in Arizona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy because the moment, like, when I got arrested, they let me go the same day. It was like I went down to the booking with a jail. I think it was a Tempe jail. They fingerprinted me and let me go at the, at the door. I didn't see a judge and nothing, no paperwork and nothing. They just let me go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. I thought, at first, I thought it was kind of, it was fake because, like, you know, they caught basically like 100 pounds of weed. $14,000 and they just took it all and was like, all right, we're going to let you go. And that was it. So I didn't know what to think of it. Then later on down in life, two years later, you know, I got an outstanding fugitive warrant out in Arizona and get picked up here in Atlanta and boom, locked up again. So I don't know. And the worst part of that is uh, you got extradited a couple of times and they, they charged you for that shit, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, they extradited me. It was like well, three times I got extradited for the same situation. And, you know, whenever the police come out here and get me, they go out, get a nice hotel, rent a car, you know, go out to the clubs, eat wherever they want to eat at, and then they just charge me for it, the flight back and forth and everything like that. So basically, like the total amount was up to like $5,000. Oh, my God. So you pay for like everything they eat? And everything, where they sleep, and the car they rent, and everything when they come to get you? Yep. Holy shit. Everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> they keep a receipt. Like, when it was like, they were transferring me to the airport, because I was on Delta Airlines. They transferred me to the airport. The guy was like, yeah, go ahead, get whatever you want to eat. You're paying for it. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, what? Yeah. Crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, and, so then you go, so then you, so then you go to the, see the judge and he gives you how much time in Tent City? Well, it was, it was basically trying to give me three and a half years, but, you know, the lawyer I had, they kind of talked him down my first offense. I had a clean record and they gave me uh, three months, three months in Tent City. But you had, that? you had, okay. you had served a lot of time in like Durango and other other places oh, yeah. before the before, before I was sentenced it was basically like two months before I even got to see the judge and really got sentenced and did you so get any credit for time served for that nope no time served and nothing like that none of that I wish but no it was like no time served and I guess uh, <clears throat> I don't know how like I think it had something to do with the felony it was like a class two felony so it was like no time served, no nothing like that. You just have to do straight time. 
they didn't really work with me at all. It was like, you, you're lucky that we're not sending you to prison. So I guess I was supposed to take whatever they gave me. Wow. So, okay, so then so then you go and see the judge, and he says Tent City. Had you heard of Tent City before? Oh, no. I mean, I, I see something I believe is on, like, Discovery Channel, something like that. Uh-huh. Those guys out there wearing stripes and pink. But I never really, you know, I never really put two and two together, nothing like that. I was like, oh, yeah, that's where I'm going. Oh, like that. <laughs> so, so you kind of didn't know what to expect, really going in then, right? No, no, so that, then, and that was that was the whole funny thing about. It. I didn't know what to expect. I thought basically it was like a regular jail, like out here in Atlanta, somewhere on the East Coast, something like that. Huh. So then, okay, so so then you get there, right? And then and then at at what point did you realize, oh shit, <laughs> you know, like this isn't like the other jails, like. Oh, soon as like you know, when they as soon as they brought me into the little pod area, you know, I walked in. Everyone's like screaming "kinfolk, kinfolk," and I'm looking like <laughs> looking around. You know, I'm looking around like does somebody know me? You know, I was like looking at like, nah, they like grabbing all my stuff, getting all ready, and they was like, "Yeah, you're a kinfolk, and this is how we do it. These are the rules." And I was like, "Rules?" I was like, "Don't the jail already have rules? Like, what are you talking about rules? And they read all these regulations. You can't do this, can't do that, and you know, we're all separated by race." These are the woods, and he's the head of the woods, like the gang leader, and these are the Chicanos and the Chiefs, and I'm sitting there like, <clears throat> this reminds me of American Me or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now wait, let's back up a second. So so why were they calling you kinfolk? I don't know. That's, that's what I was like, and I was like, where did that even name come from? It was like, oh, you know, we, we are kinfolk, I guess, because we're black or something like that. I don't know where that, I don't know who decided to name it that, but yeah, oh, no one okay. to the bottom of where those names came from. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me break it down, Ro. How it works is like okay. the, uh, the inmates themselves all break themselves and they're like kind of race gangs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kinfolk are, are the African-Americans. The Woods, the dumbest name, is comes from Pecker Woods. Those are the white people. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody were else they okay? has... They were names. cool with that? Like... The, yeah. They the loved it. Were, like the, oh, really? Yeah, the woods were the ones that took the shit the most serious. Besides the chiefs, which were the mm-hmm. Indians. Besides the chiefs, yeah. the Indians were the in, the chiefs and the woods were the only ones who really took the shit serious. The the kinfolk they really did. I mean, they would if 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 the shit hit the fan, but it never did because their heads scared the fuck out of everybody there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so okay so. So then inside they they get you in there and so the the black people are calling you kinfolk and and they're the ones that take you aside and kind of lay it down for you. Yeah, they basically I guess it's supposed to be you know, I guess how they try to set it up is political or something. It's supposed to be like, you know, if you have any problems, if you need anything, you go to the head of the kinfolk. It's supposed to be like the I guess the ring leader of everybody. He's supposed to like solve all your problems. <clears throat> 9 times out of 10 like how they decided who's going to be the head was basically who's been there the longest. It didn't really have nothing to do with any kind of knowledge of anything or, you know, if you got money on your books or if you could really support someone or if you really know how to make a decision. It was just like, oh, you've been here six months? Oh, okay, you're the head now. <laughs> so it was and, like that. And it's because, because it's it's a highly rotating prison, right? No one's yeah. no one's really in for life or anything. So, so then they change, <clears throat> like, the heads of the groups all the time then, right? Yeah, they have, like, their little meetings, and, you know, everybody votes in, like, who you want to be the head, and whoever wants to be, like, you know, somebody who, 
sometimes basically it's people who like I guess on the streets really don't have nothing going for them in life and it's like oh yeah I want to be the head like they could use it for their resume or something I want to be the head and the head <laughs> like go ahead you can deal with all these problems I really don't want to deal with it now were you ever the head? Um, a long time ago, one time before when I was in Durango, like when I first was expedited, I was in there for like maybe two months and it just became because I've been there the longest and they was like, oh yeah, we, we like your personality, you should be head. And I was head for probably like maybe a month and it was, I got in a fight too during that time because, mm-hmm. you know, somebody, it was like, I guess you call them Chicanos, whatever, was disrespecting. And I was like, I was like, I was telling their people, like going to their head, like, hey, this guy's disrespecting us, you know, he's saying all kind of racial names and everything like that. You guys need to take care of it. And I was like, okay. Then turns out he's like, yeah, <clears throat> we got like supposed to be like hit bands, but they call them torpedoes. You supposed to like send a torpedo to handle any of your problems. And so he's like, yeah, we're gonna send a torpedo in there to fight him. And he was like, nah, he wants to fight you. So I was like, boom, I get called out by like the big Chicago guy. And so, you know, I had a, the fights go off. They got to go, like, all in the bathroom. And, you know, everyone, like, sits down at the table. You can't, no rubberneck. You can't nobody look in there. So I got in a fight like that. Wait, wait, wait. So, so they're, like, guarding? Is that what they're doing? Yeah, they're kind of, like, guarding so it really doesn't turn into a riot. Okay, and so the, and so so the, the guards, guards don't see it, too. Yeah, you're not allowed okay. to look. You go in the bath. The two people that are supposed to fight go in the bathroom and fight. Everybody else, he said, don't rubberneck. You're not allowed to, like, turn around and look. You just walk around. You act like nothing's going on. Huh. Oh, that kind of sucks. So, okay, so so now you're 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 kind of grouped with the kinfolk, and how? Now I have Not to. kind of. Okay, you're you're definitely yeah, absolutely to, yeah. entrenched in the kinfolk. So, how do you start hanging out with Chris, who's probably like the whitest guy there, right? Hell no. <laughs> I had all my teeth. What the fuck are you talking about, man? They were some white motherfuckers there, man. I, I never oh, smoked yeah. meth in my life. Yeah, oh yeah, that yeah, it was a bunch of meth heads and all kind of heroin addicts and everything like that. Basically, how I met them, I think you know, out there they make you attend city, they make you go to work every day. So I think one day we was going to work, and Chris, he's pretty tall. I'm kind of, he's taller than me, and so we was just like, yeah, we were handcuffed to each other. So one by we stretched my arms out, and we just started talking. You know, we basically was talking about like you know the top, the the number one thing people say in Ten City. You know, we're talking about things like that. Like, you know, the 10 top things that everyone says, you know, one is like, I'm going to furlough next week, and we just start cracking jokes about that. <laughs> and then we just, you know, click like that, I guess. Yeah, and you told me your story about how you got fucking popped and shit and all the yeah. circumstances, and I was just like, man, that's fucked up. Yeah, because I was, basically I was out there with no family. I didn't really know that. And I was like, if I escape, I'd probably get caught within like five minutes because I wouldn't even know which direction to run in. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like, what, you're not from here? He was like, nah. Because everyone was like, oh, yeah, so where do you live at? I was like, in Atlanta? Oh, yeah, so where do you live when you was in Arizona? I was like, I, I never lived here before. I was like, what? I was like, how long you been here? It was like three months, uh, two months since I've been here. They were like, what? It was kind of like a funny story. So I couldn't get no visits or no, really not. I got some mail from my girlfriend, but not as much as I thought I should. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's kind of crazy like that. So I'll tell them all about times how I've been out there dealing with this situation. When I get out, I'm really like, okay, how I'm going to get back to Atlanta? Because, you know, they charged me all this money to bring me here. They should have, like, added a fee in to me getting back. That's what I think they should have did. Oh, but they didn't? So they just uh, sent you out there with, like, no... No way to get back to Atlanta? Nope. When I was released, it was just like, all right. And I had to, like, find my way back. So. Wow. 
You think they're going to charge him for his flight out there and then provide him with with transportation back? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you'd think that they'd... they'd I mean, because what if he's broke, you know? What if he gets out and he's got no money to get home? He's, like, going to be a homeless guy in Arizona. Did they want that, you know? They don't give yeah, a they, fuck. Yeah, they don't. They didn't care about none of that because, like, probation officer came to see me. He was like, yeah, when you get out, you're going to have to uh, find a place to live at. And I was like, where am I going to go? Oh, well, you, cause he was telling me I might. Like, I was trying to get my probation transferred. So he was like, yeah, <clears throat> if you don't get your probation transferred before you get out, you know, you're going to have to stay here until it happens. And I was like, where am I going to stay at? Well, I don't know. You're going to have to go to a halfway house. And I was like, I don't even know where the halfway house. How am I going to find that while I'm in jail? And I was like, everyone I know in here is either in jail or have is on probation or something like that, and I'm not supposed to deal with them. So what am I supposed to do? He's like, oh, you're going to have to find out something. I don't know your financial situation, but you get a hotel or something like that. So, yeah, <clears throat> they basically didn't care. Wow. So I was like, yeah, I was like, so if I get out, don't have no money, living on the streets, and you guys are like, okay, I have to be here for like two months until my probation transfer. How am I going to pay my fines? Where, where am I going to live? I need a residence. Oh, well, I don't know. That's something you got to have to think about. <laughs> so they didn't care. It's like, whatever. You get out, you're going to have to survive on your own, man. That's what it was basically like. So. That's pretty messed up. So so then, so then, you guys worked together in the kitchen, right? And Chris Chris was telling us some, like, really disgusting stories about the kitchen. But what, what was your, what was your, what, how about some of your stories about the kitchen? Oh, yeah, the kitchen is, I mean, it, I guess the inmates was to see, the food being prepared, they would never eat it. I don't care how hungry, it'd be like a food strike because they'd be like some snotty-nosed people coughing all over the food. You know, they'll have their gloves on, go to the restroom, come back saying gloves on, you know, throw the food around, pick it back up, put it on the trays. It was crazy. It was like, ugh, the more and more you work there, you're just like, man, I'm not hungry today. Like, hey, hey. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so you probably lost a lot of weight in Ten City then, right? You know, yeah. Because you, yeah, no, but, no, the, the kitchen food was for the towers, though, right? Yeah, it was for different jails. Yeah, so no, we we cooked. Was, no, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, we cooked for we cooked for what do we cook for? Fourth Avenue, uh, all the juvies. Yeah. Fourth Avenue yeah. was like the big jail where the supermax was, and we cooked for Southeast Mesa. No, wait, that is Fourth Avenue. And we cooked for LBJ. So we cooked for all the big jails. The girls didn't. The girls were the ones that cooked for us. So we weren't actually cooking our own food. But yeah, they, we cooked that food, and that food would eventually get back to us at the tents. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we we cook it on we cook it on Thursday. They put it in these things called Cambros, <laughs> and by yeah. like Friday or Saturday, they'd end up serving it back to us. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, we so, was always like a day ahead or something, two days ahead or something like that. Oh, that's pretty nasty. So, yeah. did you ever like try to like just like eat your food while it was being cooked and just? Oh yeah. You know, like stay stay kind of ahead of the the recycled food. Yeah, that's basically that's how we had to do it. It's like because where we worked there, they kind of provided meals, daily meals for us, and so that was probably the safest food that you can get was right there, like, as soon as it comes in, you know, you open it up and it's fresh, you're like, can you put this in the microwave for me, you know, heat it up for you, eat it then. But when you get back to the tent and they're like, it's time to eat, time to serve a child, you go up there, you just give your tray away or throw it away, feed it to the trash can. Yeah, we we worked, uh, Insight and I both worked diets, and so we got a little special treatment there, too. They'd hook us up. 
And then Insight yeah. is a vegetarian, so he got hit in, for the daily meal. He got, you know, burritos and stuff, so he got hooked up <laughs> there, too. Yeah, I, I, I probably ate a thousand and some odd burritos. <laughs> I don't even want to see a burrito though. I was like, <laughs> wait, so their burritos are vegetarian though? Because usually the like those, yeah, it's be- like animal fat in that. Yeah, it's bean burritos. But yeah. still, they. I mean, if it's like those frozen ones, it still has animal fat in it, yeah. right? Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you remember him saying like that they didn't wash their hands and wore the same gloves to the bathroom? Oh God, that's so gross. I'm just saying, put that in perspective. Do you think he's yeah. worried about the animal fat, whether or not vegetarians <laughs> yeah, are getting that's it? What I was about to say. I was yeah, like, yeah, I I'd rather have animal fat than have someone's feces. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> the bathroom was running and clean. It would be yeah. the craziest looking people. Like, it'd be, like everyone kind of got nicknames for the way they look. <laughs> it was just funny. Yeah. What, was Chris's, what was Chris's nickname? Uh, they just called him Otto. They didn't really give him a nickname. No, uh, I, was, I was also Stretch. Yeah. Stretch. And what was your nickname? Uh, they called me ATL because I was from Atlanta. So yeah, like all the ATL. kinfolk, all the kinfolk were, uh, their names were where they were from mostly. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> okay. Arizona. Yeah, I don't know why. That's how they remember. I guess it's like, oh, man, where are you from? Like, I'm from Atlanta. All right, the next thing you know, like, hey, ATL. So just, that name just stuck like that. And so it's, it was the airport code then, was your name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too funny. So, so what was a typical day like for you in Tent City? Uh, basically, it was get up in the morning, you know, forced up, wake up, and you know they they say uh, you're volunteering to go to work, but if you don't, you get put in the hole. So it was like go to work every day, get back from work, uh, sit down, just chill out. Really, didn't do too much when I came back from work. Just in there trying to maintain, trying not to let the stress get to me by being locked up. You know, walk around, talk to certain people. Like, I really kind of didn't socialize with everybody. You know, some of the kinfolk, those guys, was <clears throat> like their agenda, whatever they used to do, whatever they did in there, it was kind of crazy. So I was like, I don't even really want to talk to these guys. They kind of, to me, that's kind of stupid. Some of the yeah. things they'll talk about, some of the things they'll do, yeah. So I kind of just kept to myself, just talk to certain people about, you know, other things besides, oh, uh, yeah, you know, oh, uh, yeah, they used to get. Lizard male, they called it lizard male from, <laughs> I guess, the female, the female ladies on the other side of the fence. Uh-huh. And so that was like the biggest thing going on. It was like, you would write an intro and you wouldn't even know what kind of girl you would get anything. You just like write an intro, describe yourself, say like what you look like, what kind of girl you're looking for and things like that. And you throw it over the fence and then like a letter <laughs> will come back. <laughs> yeah, a letter will come back from some mystery writer. <laughs> Stuff like that, and so you know that was like the biggest talk of the yard. It's like, yeah, you get you get a lizard letter today and stuff like that. So. <laughs> did, did you did you save any of those? I'd love to see those. Oh no, I, I wish I had. I had got probably like yeah, two two or three of them. So it's like when you get them, you either have to erase the whole page or try to hide it somewhere. Because if, <laughs> if your bunk got tossed, then yeah, they'll like take it from you, tear it up, or whatever. Read it. That actually brings me to a story that really makes me feel bad that I wish I never did. But there was this guy there, um, a kinfolk. His name was Africa because he's from Ethiopia. Uh, he 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 wasn't all there. He 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 would come up to you and he'd be like, "Hey, bro, can I sing you a Tupac song?" And it didn't matter if you said yes or no. He'd just be like. 
Brenda, she's got a baby. And he just starts singing Tupac love songs to you yeah. and shit. He was really, cr- he was fucked up. So he kept writing lizard mail and stuff. And you have to think of a name. Like, what what, what was your lizard name? Who, who mine? Yeah. I think mine was Brother to the Night or something like that. Yeah, Brother to the Night, 2K. <laughs> and then we, and then I guess you asked uh, Africa, you're like, what's your lizard name? And what did, he, his was Pumpkin Eater. <laughs> Yeah, pumpkin eater. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck does that mean? I don't. This dude was way out of there, man. Way out. He, yeah, he was like, so excited about his name, like that was like, yeah, my name is Pumpkin Eater. I'm, 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 I'm. <laughs> yeah, he stuttered too. He stuttered too, and if and like real bad. Yeah, and uh, so he 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 wrote his mail and he wasn't getting anything back. So I did something I really feel bad about. Like I wrote a letter to him. <laughs> and I was just like, hey, pumpkin eater, you like eating pumpkin? Mm, I want you to eat my pumpkin. You like Tupac? I love Tupac. You know, just everything he said, everything I know he'd like and shit. Yeah. And I gave it to him in the in the day room, which is like the big room everybody sits in where everybody eats in. And he's, he he can't read either. I mean, he's he's totally out of it. He's, he's, yeah. he's way gone. He can't read. So he's like, hey, man, read this to me, man. Read this to me. So I'm reading it to him. His hands just go, bam, right down into his pants. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to look at his lips. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, now, the worst part about that was he was like, bro, did you do this? Because we started, we couldn't, we couldn't help it. We were laughing and shit. He's like, bro, did you do this? Did, did you send this to me, bro? And And I was like, yeah, man, I'm really sorry I did it, man. I'm really sorry. And I, I, I crumpled it up, and he's like, hey, hey, bro, give me my letter back. <laughs> yeah, he's like, can I keep it? Can I have it? He's like, what? Yeah. And he yeah, started he showing it, the letter he, off to everybody. Yeah, he was showing it off to people and shit. Like, I got a letter. And everybody there knew that it was written by us and shit. And he, yeah, that was crazy. Know, yeah, he was like, yeah, I got a little letter. I got some letter. And he was showing it off to people. That I read, he's like, "Hey, read this, read this to me, read this to me." <laughs> yeah, that guy was shot out. <laughs> yeah, I remember one of the another thing I feel bad about doing is, I mean, because we used to, I mean, Africa, he was, he was, he wouldn't work, like he would not work, and that was bad. And uh, I mean, I didn't work either, but that was all right. But uh, <laughs> but like one thing, we, I mean, we'd mess with him in, in a good way, and there's these things we'd load all the trays into. Uh, to send them out, and they're like this—a metal thing about five feet high. And we ended up tricking him. We put like a like a Hawaiian punch in one of them. And we're like, "Hey, man, you want a Hawaiian punch?" So like, yeah, I want a Hawaiian punch. And he grabbed that thing, and we locked him in it. <laughs> and, and then it came, yeah, spin him around a whole bunch of times. And then it came time, like like uh, Enzo was saying, uh. We got a special meal for working in the kitchen. Our payment was that we had our own, they made our own food for us. Uh-huh. It was still from the disgusting food, but it was better cooked because it was cooked directly for us. And it was stuff like we got pies and cakes sometimes, stuff, stuff that other people never saw. So every day, uh, Insight and I would go get the food. So we come, we come pushing the thing, and everybody thinks it's the food, <laughs> and it's got African in it. They're like, is that the food? And they all jump up. I mean, these like these guys are greedy, man. These guys, I mean, like, <laughs> like they'd never seen food before every day. 
And like we rolled it in there, and they're all crowding around it. We open the shit, and dude falls out right on the ground. <laughs> and he got up, and he he couldn't act embarrassed because he could never be embarrassed. But man, I've never seen a black guy blush like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that was real funny. <laughs> Poor guy, though, man. So what yeah. was he in for? What was his crime? No, oh, dude, that's a story. <laughs> I actually read his police report, man. He, uh, oh, man. he got, uh, he's one of those guys, like, you can get to do anything, you know? So he had this other guy, I think it was a white guy, but he, he was pretty much telling him to do stuff. He was, he was on meth and he was, he was smoking, I don't know, all kinds of drugs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, which wasn't a good thing because he already had problems. But, uh, I guess he, they broke into a car. And they stole a subwoofer and a bunch of CDs. And him and his dumbass friend are just standing on the side of the street. He's got the CDs in his hand. His friend's got the subwoofer sitting on the ground next to him. So I'm reading the the police report, and it says, suspect, he's got a big, long African name, took off running. I followed the subject, and I found the subject laying on a balcony as if I couldn't see him. Unfortunately, he was in plain sight. I walked up to him. And I I told him to freeze. He didn't move, and he didn't acknowledge that I was talking to him. <laughs> and I, and I was like, and I asked, I was like, Africa, why didn't you move? He's like, I was trying to be invisible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was like one of the funniest stories I did. <laughs> I can't, you know, couldn't they like find him like insane or something? Well, see, that's the thing. That he got fucked that way. Because yeah. what it's called, what is it, Rule 12, Rule 13 or something? Rule, I think it's rule 11. Or something rule like 11. That. Yeah, he was stuck at Durango. You don't get any credit for this time either. He, Durango's just this really shitty jail, really shitty. It's, it's condemned. It's covered yeah, with asbestos. Yeah. There's a class action lawsuit that actually Insight put me up on that, like, for every day you stay there, you can collect, like, what is it, like 200, 250 bucks? Yeah. But it's just a shithole, and, like, it's bad. And, uh, he was stuck in there for months on months because they, they found him rule 11. They found him incompetent to stand trial till finally he talked him into it, that he could finally stand trial. Cause I mean, if they find you're crazy, you just sit there. Oh my God. You don't get out. It's not like you see on the movies like, haha, I just got out of a murder because I said I was crazy. No, no. <laughs> you're just going to sit there. Yeah. Hmm, that's pretty messed up. Yeah. But he's, that guy was yeah he was he was crazy whatever you want to call it he was a shout out to me he he couldn't he basically uh, I guess he, he couldn't understand the laws or whatever he wouldn't be able to know right from wrong and he was there asking I guess they asked him the question if he could do that and he was like nah he doesn't understand what they're talking about thinking that I guess it's gonna help him out like I don't know what I did wrong I don't think I did anything wrong or whatever so he's like oh yes well we're just gonna keep you here I think he was there for like a year like. 11 months or something like that before he got yeah released. he was a crazy time and then he got fucked again because he thought he, he thought he had two for ones which meant he, <laughs> he, he it sucks but it's funny but he thought he had two for ones and he didn't so he had he thought he was getting out in like fucking the end of, in the beginning of December beginning of December rolls around he puts in what's called a tank order where they you know you ask a question and they'll answer it eventually and uh, he said am I getting out I wrote a tank order before. You said, I'm getting out in this date. They wrote back, nope, sorry, we fucked up. You're getting out two months from now. <laughs> yeah. 
It, it kind of sounds like, though, his life in Durango and Intense City wouldn't have really been all that different than his life outside of it, in a way, you know? <laughs> no. I mean, when you think about it. Yeah, he was getting used. Like, he would just talk about, like, like he'd tell me stories. Because, I, I don't know, I kind of befriended the kid because everybody else gave him so much shit. And I really respected because one thing that he did that nobody else in Tent City did, if you ask anybody in Tent City, an inside will back me up on this, what are you going to do when you get out of here? Oh, I'm going to get me a GMF. I'm going to get me a 240s fucking of steel reserve. I'm going to get me a hoe. You know what I mean? Everybody there was talking like that, you know? Except for yeah. a couple of few that we kicked it with. But he was actually like, man, I'm going to change my life, bro. I'm going to change my life. He was done with that shit. Like, and, he, and I believed him. Like, I really did think he was done because like, he's not made for a place like Tent City. I don't think anybody yeah. is, but he is not made for a place like that. Like, he'd buy a cigarette. Cigarettes would go for five items, which meant, like, in, in, since nobody would be, eat the food, you got items, which were, like, uh, you know, cookies. You'd order it through the commissary. You'd cookies, yeah. chips, shit like that. He'd about pay, like, yeah, the, yeah, about 75 cents. So he'd, he'd pay, like, six or seven items. So you're even talking about five bucks for, for a cigarette, which was, you know, like, probably either a pinch of chewing tobacco wrapped up in regular paper or even a smaller pinch of regular tobacco wrapped up in regular paper. And he'd pay that much money for it, and he'd do it every time he got commissary. And I'd be, and then I'd talk to him afterwards. He's like, man, bro, I smoked that cigarette, man. I didn't even get one hit off of it. <laughs> he'd light the fucker up yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah like a, some people like, hey, man, why don't you get a cigarette? And they go buy one, they'll light it up, smoke it, hand it to him. Why it's probably like a roach. You get a half a hit or something, and that'll be it. Wow. Yeah, and these are these. I mean, when I say these cigarettes are nothing, like there's probably one total hit of tobacco in the entire thing. Yeah. Well, at least the ones uh, the Woods got. The the kinfolk had a hookup. So. So what? Wait, were now were these cigarettes smuggled in? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely smuggled in. Oh. I got I got caught myself trying to smuggle in a whole cigarette with like a filter. I guess they call them tailors. I tried to be creative. <clears throat> I had like a, a book, and I cut the inside out of the book, just like the length of the cigarette, stuck it inside the book, and I was coming back from work, and, you know, tried to be all slick, set the book down on the table, changed out my clothes, and I didn't see when they looked through the book. So I'm walking up there just like watching the book, seeing who's going to grab it. As soon as I grabbed the book, it was like, that's your book? I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> so they was like, all right. They said, let me see it. They showed me the cigarette, and it was like, oh, man, you know better than this, and all like that, so I was like, just don't send me to the hole. It was like, how much time you got left? I think then I had probably two weeks, two weeks left to my release date. And I was like, well, we're just gonna have you uh, clean the portage on. It's like where people piss at and everything like that. So, oh, is this after yeah. I was out? Yep. Oh, clean the fucking portage on. Yeah, no. And then Jesus. I thought, I thought they, yeah, I thought they forgot because I was like, okay, all right, I'll clean it. Now I went to clean it because they just had emptied them out earlier that day. So I was like, yeah, I just go in there with the gloves on, spray it down, and get, you know. Uh, so they waited to probably, it was like 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, something, and they called me on the intercom, like, come up to the bubble, come to the checkpoint, calling my name and everything. So I go there, he's like, you know what you got to do. Go get the disinfectant, some gloves, and go clean the portage on. So I was like, damn. Dude, you don't understand. Yeah. Like, these aren't like, portage johns are disgusting in general. But we're talking about we're talking about a, a row of five porta johns that are used by 150 inmates. Oh, 
Yeah. With and it's the one place you can go to be be by yourself, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to go jerk off. Or- yeah. Yeah. So Rode this one is. Out. Yeah. yeah. So like. I was like, damn. Oh yeah, that was that was like that was disgusting. I just I really didn't clean it like that. I just sprayed the stuff in there, wiped down the door, and was like, all right, I'm done. I would have went to the hole and tried to see if I met DMX. They tried to make me do that shit. Oh, DMX came on the yard. Oh, he did? Yeah, he was out there. It was crazy. The day he came was probably, they had like SRT, like two different groups of SRT all surrounded, locked us down. And I guess they had him in the yard by himself at first. And it was like, anytime DMX wants to come out, we're going to lock the yard down for an hour. And he's going to get to watch TV and take a shower and do whatever, use the phone. But every time he came out, everyone had to lock down. But people were, like, coming up to him, like, the defense, like, hey, man, what's up, DMX? You know, here you want a cigarette? He was just giving him stuff. He was like, here, you want a magazine? Here, you want, you want my socks? You want oh, my shoes? God. <clears throat> yeah, Dick Ryan told him he was just taking, like, he, he didn't even care about it. You could tell he was just taking that stuff. Like, yeah, I need some shoes. Yeah, all right, boom, grab the shoes and all like that. And then, let me see, probably, he was, like, isolated from us for, like, maybe two, two, three days. And then I think it was like a Monday or something like that. They let him in regular population, gave him a job and everything. So he was just like <laughs> around everybody. Yeah. It was funny. So it was like you see GMX walk in and you like there's a line of people following him everywhere he went. <laughs> Where did he work? Do you know? Yeah, he worked um he worked on the yard. Like you know how the people like fold up our tents in the morning? Oh uh, okay. so yeah, he did that. And he did that for like two, three days and he was always saying, like, Get up, go to work. You know, oh, God, you know, dude. It was crazy, man. It was like, I was sleeping. Also, I heard his voice about Jerry. I'm thinking I'm watching Belly or something. And I wake <laughs> up and see him next and talking about, get up. You know, we get like three calls before you got to go to work. So I guess it was like the first and second call. He's all yelling. The guard's trying to quiet him down. And I think that's how he got sent to the hole again. And then he got into like a tussle with the guards or whatever. They were saying that he wouldn't, he didn't want to get up to go to work or he wouldn't roll the tent up or something he wouldn't do. And he got into, like, an argument with them. He was, like, threatening their lives. Like, yeah, I kill you and all this stuff like that. So he took them to the hole, put them yeah, on my most side. You heard what happened when he got to the hole, didn't you? No, nah, not really. He slapped, a dude, of, he slapped a guard with one of them trays. <laughs> now, he's getting charged with, now he's getting charged with assault with a deadly. Damn, so, yeah, he's not getting out. No. Is he still in? He's still in? Oh, he's going to yeah, be in yeah. forever now. Now he's got a whole oh. new felony court case that he's going to go to prison for. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so that, that kind of like resets you. That happens you just like start back over because if you got a new charge, no one with open charges can be in, I guess, uh, was it Fourth Avenue or um, the Towers or the 10th, they have to go back to Durango and start all over again. Before, wow. they get for that case, yeah, so he's in a bad situation now. I didn't know about that. One thing Insight said that uh, I've mentioned before and people haven't believed me, Freeman was one of them, uh, he said uh, he's eating loafs. Uh, when DMX was eating loaves, what a loaf was is they took all the food that we cooked and they pretty much threw it in a big blender. Oh my God! Yeah, they made like yeah. a meatloaf or something. Yeah, it it looked like it looked like a big hot pocket, but yeah. like I I I bit into one and almost threw up. But yeah, it was that was they they usually only give those people that assault inmates, but I can see him giving the, and he ended up assaulting an inmate so. So, like, okay, so, for example, what is in a loaf? Like Everything. Like, everything. Everything that's <laughs> been cooked. Like the, the, the fruits, the vegetables, the main course, 
everything just inside it, ground it up, rolled together around some dough, heat it up, that's it. Oh, that's disgusting. And, and not even blended, blended like like you, there's still chunk. You you taste a chunk of corn, and then you taste like a chunk of, you know, a chunk of meat, and then a chunk of, of donut. You know, just like the three worst <laughs> things together. Yeah. I don't know why I bit into that. I just had to, and I did. And I almost sue the fuck up. Yeah, oh, that's nasty. Were you there um, in sight for the day that Charles Barkley spent? Nope, I was oh, okay. gone. Yeah, I was gone for that. Yeah, I was already out. But I heard, you know, I think he probably came maybe like a week after I left, something like that. But I heard everyone talking like, yeah, Charles Barkley's coming up here. Oh, uh, just getting all excited. You know, I'm going to get his autograph and all this. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to be gone when he gets here. How about that? <laughs> yeah. You know, he had spent about eight hours there. He did? Eight hours? Yeah, they didn't even make him dress out. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you remember, you know where the 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 Porta Johns are. You know that yard yeah. right behind that, where where there was yeah. nobody. Yeah, that's where they had DMX at too. Yeah, that's where they kept him. Huh. Yeah, <clears throat> but DMX, they gave him. I guess DMX, since he's like supposed to be some kind of hardcore rapper, or whatever, they gave him the worst time, I guess, because he was dressed out, everything. Yeah, well, the difference between DMX, why DMX didn't get special treatment, and Charles Barkley did is Charles Barkley went on TV, sat next to Sheriff Joe, was like, I'm very sorry about what I did. Uh, it was my <laughs> fault. I put myself in this situation. And they held up a... The, the worst part was they held up a pair of the pink underwear. And that motherfucker was bright pink. And you knew as well as I have, every pair of those underwear looked like they were washed like in a washing machine full of rock salt. You know what I'm saying? There was like no fat. There was no fabric to them. But they held them up, and it looked like a pair of like Michael Jordan boxers, and they had Joe written on them too. He had to fucking put his name on that just to get that on the news. Yeah. So just so he did that little interview, and they gave him special treatment. So you yeah. had to wear their undergarments too. You couldn't. You couldn't like wear your own boxers. No, you can't. No. I'm off the commentary, but then, yeah, you just had to wear what they gave you. And sometimes they'll never have your size. But that'd be the thing. That's that's the thing about it. You go like you come from work. You got to change. You got to always change your clothes when you come from work. So as soon as you come back from work, there's like this big line of people undressing, getting butt naked, changing clothes, and they're like keep it moving, keep it moving. You grab yeah, like you have to grab like butts. a size six X boxes or something that don't even fit. It's crazy. God. Yeah. This actually. This is one of the things that like. This is how you know insight's a cool motherfucker. Like you'll say somebody will give you the shirt off their back. Like, the, we were in there in the middle of the winter, and, you know, we're naked and running through the thing, and you're just, you, all you want to do is get out of there, you know what I mean? So I'm grabbing my clothes, I walk through, I forgot to get a thermal, and it was probably one of the coldest nights, and Insight was really good at getting, you know, getting at least two or three thermals through most of the time, <laughs> and maybe, you know, he 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 had his ways to get into shit, but uh, I, I went up to him, and I was like, man fucking i didn't get a thermal and he took he had two thermals on and he gave me one of his thermals so like yeah. you talk about people giving a shirt off your back he did well, that's cool. yeah. so so what are you doing now that you're out now i mean basically i'm trying to get you know i gotta find a job for this probation situation which i got one just recently but other than that i've been you know going through the situation with this cat about my music you know, when I first, when I was locked up, some of my equipment, me and this one guy, we had like a 
partnership and this music was building up a lab together and everything like that. And so he had my computer, some of my equipment and things like that. So I get out and I'm like, yeah, I need to come get my stuff. And he's like, give me the third degree. Oh, no, nah, he can't come get it. You know, talking about all money and all this crazy stuff. It's not even true. So I was going through that dispute with him back and forth, you know, me <clears throat> trying not to get locked back up. I was like, I wanted to go over there and just kick in the door and get my stuff, you know, beat his ass real quick. Just handle a situation like that, maybe break his wrist or something. But, no, I didn't even take it that far. <laughs> you know, you do like misery, break his wrist or something, so you can't make them a beat no more. But, you know, yesterday I had to go over there, and when I get there, he's like, house full of people I've never seen before. It's like at least uh, 10 to 12 people. And I go over there, like, me and my cousin, two other guys, you know, I'm knocking on the door. You know, my cousin knows them too. So I'm knocking on the door. He comes outside, like, yeah, nah, you're not getting your stuff, this and this and that. And I'm just sitting there, just looking at him, like, Ooh, I want to just hit this dude, you know. So I don't, and my girl, she called the police, so the police come. They're like, yeah, so whose stuff is it? You know, he's like, uh, uh, trying not to answer, like, it's mine. He was like, who purchased it? like, me. You know, it's my stuff. And so the police like, well, look, you got two choices. Either get locked up for theft, I let him get his stuff. So, you know, he felt all embarrassed because I walked in there. You know, he was sitting on my computer desk. I mean, my not my desk, but he was sitting in my chair. I got, like, this nice big throw and I call it that means bag is real nice and so I like I need to get my chair, my computer, you know, I need to get the stand the keyboards on, my keyboard, my turntables, my records, you know, my speakers, my microphone, microphone stand, everything like that. And so <clears throat> he was just basically sitting there looking stupid in front of all his friends and everything like that. No one even said anything to me and nothing like that. So now that I got all my, my equipment back, I'm about to get on this mixtape. I got a mixtape I'm working on. So I'm about to just grind real hard, stay in the lab doing that. And other than that, that's that's basically it that I got going on. Trying to work to keep the folks off my back so they don't try to violate me again because I don't, definitely don't want to go through that 10 city situation again. So, so that's it. Are you keeping your piss clean? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I'm done with all that smoking, man. Right on, yeah. right on. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of, you know, I want to every once in a while, you know, sit back, blaze up you know, touch the sky, but, like, I got to report to my probation people, like, like, once every month, and they give me, like, between the 1st and the 15th, so, you know, I, I could basically plan around it, but I don't really want to go through all that. No, it never works out, bro. Yeah, I know, I don't want to go through that and think I'm clean all of a sudden, say, hey, come here for a minute, because when you go to, like, die probation, <clears throat> when you go in, they piss at you there, it's like, go in, the door locks, so they have to let you out, so it's like, no way I could run out the building or anything like that, so once you're in there, you're locked in there, and they can lock you up, whatever, so I was like, all that smoking is done, you know, I still smoke cigarettes or whatever, but as far as the chronic, leave that alone, leave that alone, but yes, just on the time, working on the mixtape, I got this mixtape going to come out with called Handy Another Brick. You know, volume one, like there's a drug dealer. Basically, I'm just going to talk about things in the past. How I was really hustling, you know, on the streets, grinding, getting money, things like that. Talk about that because I really haven't ever put that in my music. And I think now's a good time to go ahead and put in the music, talk about the struggles and what is it really like to be a drug dealer? Because a lot of people make it seem like, oh, it's basically you just get some drugs and sell them, and that's it. You get money and you go out to the clubs. Like, Nah, it's, it's really like you got to stay focused, all kinds of stuff. It's basically like running your own business, you know, really. It's like you can't have memo out to your coworkers and stuff like that. Like you really got to cross your teeth, dot your eyes, and figure out what's really going on because if I was on top of my game, 
like did, I was never got locked up. Like I was seeing it coming. Seeing it coming so and then instead of going bankrupt as a business you end up in fucking jail exactly that's how it is like the same energy same effort it would take to run a big company become rich and everything like that be financially just not even worry about anything yeah same energy it takes to do that it's like same person like you take a businessman and put him in that kind of environment of drug dealing and being on the streets like that it takes the same kind of effort, same kind of energy, same kind of everyday hustle, every everyday grind. You got to do like your homework on people. You can't just trust anyone. Because like I had a lot of friends that were just around because, you know, I had money. Like I go out to the club and be like, okay, everybody, let's go get it. Now I got no money. Like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, I got you. You know, we go to the strip club. Like, if you want to dance, pay for this guy to get a dance, pay for some drinks and stuff like that. Because when you're selling drugs, I guess when you're getting money, it's kind of like, you spend it because how like, you see it. You know, you see it fast, so you spend it fast. So it's like, whatever. I spend like a couple thousand dollars tonight. I'll make that tomorrow before the night comes again. And like what, you said the name of your uh, your mixtape would be called Life of a Drug Dealer? Yeah. That's yeah, funny because you told me. I remember when you were in there, every time you were at Durango when some dumb shit popped off or something <laughs> retarded happened, you said, Life of a Drug Dealer. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, that was just like reminding every time, you know, you put a tank order in, you need something, or uh, anything stupid happening, you just be like, like that, like the police are coming, everybody against the wall, and strip search you, and go through all your stuff, throw it around, I just be like, life is a drug dealer, <laughs> you know, it's just, hey, this is what happens, you know, so that's what I'm basically emphasizing on my music, just telling people like, because um, you, I mean, me personally, I don't know about everybody else, but me personally, being out there like that, I've seen like, I could have been, like, I could have invested in a business, you know, open up a barbershop or did anything. But it was, like, the money I was making, I wasn't, I was just, it, like, putting, just flipping it again on more drugs and just spending it. You know, paying my rent, groceries, going shopping, and then, boom, again, spending it on just unnecessary things. So, really, like, so you can't. Are, are you going to put this out yourself, this, your album? <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to produce it myself. And promote it every time. I'm gonna do it all myself. Yeah, I really like going to look at anybody else. Cause I got, I got like Atlanta. It's a lot of different places that you can get. You see, duplicated by like the thousands and things like that. They said I was gonna, you know, <clears throat> record it here in my home. Cause I got like an, I got a pretty decent studio and my equipment. I can get, uh, you know, close to the professional. It just wouldn't. Like, I, I know, I, like certain spots, I can go get a master and mix and things like that. Do that, and I was gonna take it to disc makers and get them to make probably like two, three thousand copies, and just like hand them out to certain places and things like that. Okay, well, you know what? Send us send us one when you're when you're done, and we'll put it on the blog. We get a lot of hits on the blog. Um, okay. Let me go ahead and and wrap everything up now. Listen to us on iTunes or ZenCast. Um, leave your comments and feedback on iTunes, or vote for us on Podcast Alley. Um, as far as plugs go, zealist.com, three Z's, zzzealist.com. Um, you can reach the blog off of that website. Just click on the link that says blog. You can email your feedback to editor at zzzealist.com on MySpace, zzzealist, auto TK. And if you want to uh, add insight on MySpace, um, his MySpace is blood type 2007. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, okay. check Blood that out. Check that out. There's some hot, hot songs on there. And I'm, got, yeah. 
Yeah, Not, he's got some of his raps on there. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, and I'm I'm just gonna say we we came into this podcast with a uh, up up and up, which is one of his songs, and we're going out with my life. And those are two of his songs that you can catch on his MySpace as well. Okay, and um and then also Chris and I are on Facebook. You can look for Ro Hurley or Chris Otto, and he's the one from Phoenix, but he's got like his little like 50 million Chris Autos on Facebook now who are all his friends. This is Chris Otto from Phoenix or Scottsdale. Yeah, it's Scottsdale. And that okay. that's my Chris Otto army. <laughs> yeah, they're they're multiplying. It's pretty scary. Yeah. Anyhow, um Insight, thanks for joining us. No problem. And um until next week. All right. Thanks. All I know what I've seen is all the trouble I've been through. Please forgive me for my sins and all the Overcome, yeah. All I know, what I've seen, and all the trouble.
and this is mine.